0: Good morning. My name is Becky, and I'm part of the staff team here. This morning, I'm going to share some thoughts on mental health. Now, when I started planning this talk last year, I obviously had no idea of the situation the world would be finding itself in with this COVID-19 pandemic, so this is definitely timely. Firstly, let me be clear that I am not a psychologist or a counsellor. I have no formal training in matters of mental health, and I could certainly never hope to do justice to the huge breadth and scope of mental illness in a half-an-hour talk. But I have had lots of experience of those close to me suffering from various mental health difficulties, And I have recent personal experience of mental ill health myself. See, it's very easy when you see people up on the stage at church to think that they've got it all sorted in life. But believe me, we are all painfully human, just doing the best that we can. So let me tell you about what happened to me. Two years ago, I suffered a mental health breakdown Before then, I was very active in church life, um, leading worship and choir, leading connect group, leading kids church, child protection officer, giving talks, as well as my day-to-day finance job in the church office. And having a mental illness meant I had to drop everything, pretty much, except my job, which I was signed off from for a few weeks Part of my problem was my being addicted to being busy, but that's a whole other sermon. And what I hadn't bargained on was not being able to just ride out the storm when bad stuff happened. After all, I had always managed to do that, cope, but this time it was different. What happened was, in popular language, a perfect storm or a series of unfortunate events, starting with a very scary car accident. Although I tried to keep going, tried to do business as usual, the accumulating trauma was too much, and I found myself more and more unable to cope. I stopped doing so much at church, but that wasn't enough. And eventually, I succumbed to anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. At my worst, over that summer, I felt disconnected and distant, like an out-of-body experience. I was disengaged and disorientated. I was tearful, shaky, had spiralling anxious thoughts. But the worst were the panic attacks, that fight-or-flight reflex kicking in for no good reason at every slight strain, leaving me struggling for breath, hyperventilating, even just walking down the street after dropping my kids off at school. Now, as a trained singer, I'm used to being able to control my breathing, and that is exactly what I did at first to get through them, until even that was just not working, and eventually I went to see my GP. I was signed off work, given antidepressants, and I remember turning to my husband Andy after that appointment saying, well, what now? And his answer was, you go home and rest. And that was the biggest shock. I certainly wasn't used to that, always being busy and needed. But now I needed time and healing. Those next few months were very hard. Someone who'd also suffered a similar condition said to me, you're just crawling the walls, desperate to feel normal again. And they were right. It was a very dark time for me. And after getting through a few weeks of horrible side effects, I evened out a bit and managed just to go back to work. It was actually the one place where I felt some sort of control in my life And everyone in the church office was great. But I was still struggling with grief and anxiety. Church just felt too overwhelming. You don't know what it costs people sometimes just to walk through those doors. Singing in worship wasn't possible due to the panic attacks, which again threatened every time I tried to sing and my throat just started closing up. And I couldn't easily tell people what was going on. The three lovely ladies in my prayer triplet were supporting me and they were wonderful, a real godsend, listening, praying and helping practically. You know who you are, my angels. I know you're cheering me on now. And by Christmas that year, I was still finding socialising hard really overwhelming. One memory that stands out over those holidays was when my sister Tabby prayed for me laying hands on me, and I felt like a shock wave of the Holy Spirit go down through my body and something kind of lifted off my mind like a veil. I can't say I was totally healed, but the anxiety was eased somewhat and it was definitely a significant step towards being able to start my recovery. A few weeks later in the new year, I started sessions with a Christian counsellor. And these have been a lifeline. And I'm still continuing them at the moment as I come out the other side of this illness and adjust back to life. The talking therapy has helped me unpick all that happened. My traumas, my habits, emotions, childhood, all sorts of things that have contributed to my mental well-being. It has been quite a journey, and I now have such a different perspective on my life my purpose, and a huge amount of healing. I will never be the same again, but for the better. So last year was a healing year for me, a year of rest, daring to get back up again after being knocked down, of growing in strength and resilience, singing again, going back to church again, but being so much more intentional about what I take back on. And here I am, talking to you at home, telling my story, passing on what I've learnt. My enforced lockdown happened two years ago and has given me strategies to cope with this one. It's not easy at the moment. I find the remains of that anxiety all too easy to succumb to. But I'm so much more aware of my mental health now and I know how to intervene and reach for the light before I start to succumb to that darkness again. I know my warning signs. You see, I think this starts with an understanding of us as humans. The Bible, in Psalm 139, the writer says, how you made me is amazing and wonderful. We are made up of a beautiful, mysterious combination of body, soul, and spirit, and these cannot be separated out. God has made us complex, and all these parts of us join together affecting each other. In our body, our brain is the most sophisticated electrical computer on the planet, alive with our consciousness. Our soul, mind, and heart that most incredible, mysterious part. And as for my spirit, as a Christian, it's alive through the Spirit of God. Well, is that separate from the rest of me? No. A physical hurt can result in a feeling of hurt or anxiety. And likewise, a broken heart or grief at a loss can and does affect us physically. We are are a complex combination. Therefore, the treatment for mental illness needs to be holistic to treat every part of us. And this is what has helped me. I had good, helpful medication for the chemical imbalance in my body. Thank you, NHS. I thought about my eating and exercise I found peace in music, art, nature, reading, gaming and TV as rest for my soul. I had counselling and talking therapy to process and make sense of my experiences, thoughts and emotions. And I love that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is he's called the counsellor. And I had prayer speaking in tongues and worship to encounter the spirit of God to fill up my spiritual well-being. We are complex beings and we need complex individual treatment for each part of us, all of us. You see, we all have mental health. Every single one of us. There is no us and them. We all have good days and bad days. Now, statistically, one in four people in the UK will experience a mental health problem each year. And when something goes wrong in your mind, it is an invisible illness. If someone breaks a leg, we can see it. It's obvious what the problem is. We don't expect them to just ignore it, pretend it's not a problem and carry on walking on it. If we could see as clearly those who have mental ill health, We would see a lot of people limping, some struggling with crutches and some even completely unable to walk, even with limbs hanging off. We wouldn't expect them to run a marathon or to not seek help. And we would not think less of them if they did seek help. You see, if you need to take medication, then you take your medication Taking any form of medication is not a faith issue. It's a health issue. If we needed medication for our heart, we wouldn't question it. So why do we question needing medication for our brain? You know, you're not less spiritual for needing medication. You're just reminded of your humanity. see, mental illness, sadly, is not always curable, but it is treatable. If only people seek help in the first place and that help is available. One of the saddest things about mental illness is the stigma that goes with it. Now, I think that this is lessening in our society, certainly with our growing understanding and acceptance of the more common mental illnesses like anxiety and depression. So what's about the church? See, Christians have also not always been great in their response to mental illness. People have been told to just snap out of it or pull yourself together, told that they don't have enough faith or pray enough, even that they are backsliding in their faith, that they must have some hidden sin or worse, that they're demon-possessed. And I know from sad experience that it has turned some people away from church a place that should be filled with grace, love, compassion and healing. Let me just say that none of these types of comments would ever be said by the leadership team at Aylesbury Vineyard Church. Those things might be experienced by people um, from the church at large, but we would be utterly horrified if anyone in our church had that said to them. Now, of course... Much of it comes down to education, understanding, or good teaching. So here we are, acknowledging it, reaching out with love, grace, and compassion to those struggling and their families and friends. And this is a church where I have found great love, understanding, and support. Now, Ellsbury Vineyard Church doesn't have all the answers, but we are a loving family who is here to support each other without judgment, in my experience. One way I think of it is that there is a scale of mental health resilience, a bit like this, which for those of you who want further study, is loosely based on a theory called the stress continuum model, if you want to look it up. We all go through life somewhere on this continuum chart. A lot of people, I imagine, are mostly around okay, that is healthy mental health, even with ups and downs. And then perhaps when negative things happen in life, we dip into that reacting or coping phase where we might begin to feel strong emotions, exhibit stress behaviours such as being irritable, having trouble sleeping, having low energy and tension... Now, everyone is different, but in my understanding, most people's journey through life dips in and out of that okay and coping, perhaps with a bigger dip into overwhelm when we experience tough times. You see, we all have coping strategies. Our mind is very clever, and we cope in our own individual ways, our own ways of self-soothing. We might go shopping, go to the gym, drink alcohol, read a book, listen to music or watch box sets on TV. We each have our own ways of coping, of phasing out to deal with stress and so that our mind can rest and recuperate. And some of these are healthier than others. Addictions stem from these coping mechanisms. Control is a massive thing for all of us. And when things are out of our control, We go to our own coping mechanisms as a way of having control over something. However, sometimes in life, things happen which take us beyond coping. Trauma. We are injured. It's like having a mental smackdown in wrestling terms. Mental trauma can come through all sorts of ways. Disasters, abuse, childhood trauma, illness, bereavement, relationships or financial difficulties, or perhaps a potent cocktail of these things. You see, trauma affects each of us differently, but it is a pressure that can push us down from coping into overwhelm. And this is where coping strategies no longer help. We're out of our depth and may start to exhibit those signs of mental illness, such as mood swings, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, having trouble sleeping and fatigue. We may stop socializing and may be showing addictive behavior. People who have ongoing mental health difficulties due to trauma may find that they spend a lot of their time in that just-about-coping and or the overwhelm phase, now, when I was very ill, it only took the tiniest thing, such as a cup of spilled milk, to tip me from just about coping into feeling completely overwhelmed. My emotional resilience was very low. So as a non-professional, this is how I best understand what life is like for all of us. And at the moment, we are collectively undergoing a traumatic situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. So we are all under pressure and maybe just about coping and can dip into overwhelm due to the stress of the current situation. So let us be aware, be kind to ourselves and each other. So what about God? Where is he in all of this? The Bible is full of very human characters undergoing all sorts of normal human experiences, including ill mental health. Just a few that spring to mind are the prophet Elijah when he went and hid in a cave and wanted to die, or Job who underwent such awful grief and torment. There is a whole genre in the Bible called laments and a whole book called Lamentations. And many of the Psalms express the deepest cries of people's darkest times. The Bible is full of God engaging with people in their most desperate situations and emotional states. In these examples and throughout my own journey, there are three things that I want to draw out for you today that have meant so much to me personally. Firstly, God is always there. He promised in Joshua 1 verse 5, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is such an important promise that it's repeated in four other places throughout the Bible and paraphrased by Jesus himself at the end of Matthew's gospel. Now, a close friend told me that she felt very far from God when she was going through depression. And I said to her at the time that God was as close in her worst moments as he was in her best, perhaps even closer. And she said that really helped her. I was lucky that in my illness, I didn't feel distant from God, really. In fact, I clung to him. Literally, when I couldn't cope, I would pretend I was holding Jesus' hand. When overwhelmed, I had this habit of gripping my left hand into a fist until my nails dug in. One of the interesting things I found out about myself. And during this last year, I've learned instead to grip onto his hand in my imagination, but also to enact it physically. Now, it may seem silly, but I've found that physical action helpful grounding. The other thing I found really helpful was breathing prayers, especially when I could feel that panic rising and a panic attack threatening. I would use the rhythm of my breathing to pray, repeating, I am here and you are with me. And this would not only help by calming down my body and my racing thoughts, but it would also bring me an awareness of God being with me in it. The Holy Spirit, that breath of God, filling my lungs and giving me the life-giving breath that I needed. Why was this real experience of God's presence so important? Because mental illness is lonely. It's very difficult to describe what you're going through, but God knows And he is right there with you in it all. And this brings me on to my second point, that God understands. The Bible is clear that he knows everything about us, even how many hairs are on our heads and all our thoughts. He knows what we are going through. God became a human being, Jesus. He experienced all all the human emotions himself and hung out with people with mental health problems, the outcasts and rejected. And we know that Jesus himself suffered. I believe that he suffered extreme mental agonies in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. In Mark 14, verse 22, it says, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. And in Luke's gospel, 22 verse 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, he experienced overwhelming fear and dread at what was ahead of him. Please note that these things are not sin, He got to the point that night of sweating blood as he cried out to his father God. That's extreme physical, psychological distress. And because Jesus has known the worst suffering, Jesus can relate to anything that we are going through, especially when it's psychological distress and pain. He understands and he is with us in our darkest moments, every moment. God is big enough to take our anger and our hurt and our disappointment. His spirit of comfort is with us. His grace enough for every moment, his loving arms around us. And point three, he has a bigger perspective He has a plan. In some of my darkest days, one thing that helped me was to look out of the window at the sky. It was so big, and that grandeur and hugeness helped put my relatively small thoughts and feelings into perspective, which helped me cope in that moment. Now, the worst thing is suffering. It always is. We know it. And there are no trite answers But there is always hope because God is good. He is loving. He is bigger than it all. And he is still the king despite the pain and difficulty in this world. And he has a good plan for our lives. As our senior pastor Steve said in his talk last week, he can bring good out of this That we can hardly imagine. He will bring good out of the worst situation, the blackest depression, the deepest suffering. He suffered too to bring us that hope. And we can hold on to that, hold on to his hand through it. That is what trust and faith is. That's why I'm standing here today. Now, Steve also talked last week about our invisible spiritual enemy, the Satan. The Bible tells us that this evil personified wants to kill and destroy and delights in making things worse, especially where people have addictions or are overwhelmed or have mental or physical illness. Let me just say, though, that voices in the head can be the result of trauma and your amazing brain's clever coping mechanisms, not demons. And so much more abuse and damage has been done to people with mental illness by blaming demons. In the Bible, Jesus didn't create a massive, potentially more traumatic drama when dealing with people who, according to the understanding of that time, were identified as demon-possessed. And if we follow his example, taking authority, praying, inviting the light to come, the Holy Spirit to work, that is the way to healing. Now, the enemy certainly plays his part and loves to make things worse for us, but I don't want to give him too much credit. He is the essence of all that is evil and dark, but we have access to the wonderful power of Jesus, the light of life. In John's Gospel, Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We know that the light drives out the darkness simply by its presence We all go through darkness, but he is the light. And if we walk with him, with him in our lives, we have access to that light. It is in us by his indwelling spirit. There is always Jesus and there is always hope. There is always a dawn after the night. There is always spring after winter. There is life, and not just after death, but in this life too. Jesus said that he came to give life to the fullest. So like me, hang on to him with one hand and reach out to others for help and keep on hanging on to him and reaching out to others. And I think that's important to remember that as this um, pandemic goes on and we will eventually start to emerge from our homes again. And it seems strange, but we needn't fear because we don't do life alone. There is no social distancing with God. We have the Holy Spirit and we have each other. So if you know somebody who is struggling, what can you do? I know how helpless it can feel when someone you love is going through mental health difficulties. And so I want to draw out some helpful points from an article by Christy Wimber, who's the daughter-in-law of the vineyard founder, John Wimber. She's written a wonderful book on healing mental ill health called Wholeness. And she gives this advice. Number one, be educated one of the most loving acts the church can do is to take the time to learn more about the things which are causing people to hurt. Sickness or struggle is never a person's identity. It's just a sign of the fallen world that we live in. Taking the time to learn more about why or how someone is struggling is one of the most loving acts of kindness And we serve more effectively when we have an idea of what a person may be facing or dealing with. Number two, be present and listen. Don't underestimate the power of presence and listening. Just being present in someone's life is loving. And remember that listening is a really powerful thing. If you don't know what to say to someone struggling, Don't say anything, but don't act like it's not happening as that helps no one. It's okay to say that you're not sure what to say or what to do, but just letting someone know that you care and that you're praying for them can make a massive difference. And that brings me on to number three, pray. After listening carefully comes prayer. And don't forget that they may find this this overwhelming in person. So offer gently and don't feel useless if they say no. Crucially, you can always pray in private. And prayer changes things. It is powerful. Number four, don't try and fix people yourself. Encourage them to get professional help. It's not the job of the church to fix people. It's our role to love and serve people. If people don't want to get help, you can't make them. Now, it's really difficult to walk alongside people who don't want help, but it will only wear you out trying to force someone to do something they're not willing to do. What you can do is keep on encouraging people to get the help they need without trying to fix them yourself. And lastly, number five, get support for yourself. If you're caring for someone who has a mental illness, then it's important to have a support system yourself. We have connect groups and prayer triplets, you know, or gather one or two friends. You aren't meant to do life alone, and you can't easily help others from a place of weakness yourself. So the final and perhaps most important thing that I want to say to you today is this. If you are struggling, reach out. Get help. Even if it means admitting that you are in need, overcoming the shame of needing help and not being in control, please tell somebody. You may need to push through feelings of humiliation, fear and guilt to ask for help, But if you struggle with suicidal thoughts, you must seek help. You cannot fight these thoughts alone. You need to seek help medically as well as emotionally. You see, you matter. Your life matters. Don't try and handle this by yourself. So as we finish now, I hope that you at home can feel God's love and light breaking through in your own lives, even in this dark time, that hope and light in the darkness. I hope that the story of my journey through my own darkness and out into the light again has encouraged you today. So let's be kind to one another. Seek to love and understand each other and pray for one another.